This morning, I'm going to do something that I don't usually do. I'm going to teach on simply one verse. I told the wives last time we met two weeks ago that I would devote equal time to the husbands and the wives, the men and the women. And although Peter only addresses the men with one verse, I think he does that on purpose. He knows it's kind of hard for us. We lose, well, we get sidetracked quickly. So he puts it all in a short, compact verse. But I think this morning when we unpack it, we're going to find out there's a lot of good information and practical instruction from the Lord on how we should live as husbands with our wives. But first, let me give you a quick review. The Apostle Peter's writing this letter to a group of Christians who have been dispersed uh, from their homes, from their families, and from their lives as they, knew, as they knew it or as they know it. They're scattered throughout the area of Galatia, Cappadocia, uh, Asia, and Bithynia. And the reason he's writing le- the letter, or the purpose he's writing the letter, is to encourage them, but also to instruct them. Many of, these, many of these people are new believers in Christ. And in many of the cases, you have a marriage where a husband or a wife has become a believer, but the other has not. And he wants to give them instruction there. Re- recently, Peter instructed the Christians to submit to the government under which they live. He told Christian slaves to submit to their masters. We likened this to the employee-employer relationship when we studied. And he also told Christian wives to submit to their own husbands. Two weeks ago when we met, Peter instructed the wives. He said... By submitting to your husbands, you might have the opportunity to lead them to Christ. In other words, when they observe your chaste conduct, that was your good and your moral conduct, accompanied by your fear, and we said that word fear is not a terrifying or a shaking fear, it's a profound respect for your husband. When they they observe your good conduct and your profound respect, they might be willing to hear about your faith. You might have the opportunity to share Christ with them. In other words, we said when they see the change in your life, It may cause them to want the same change in theirs. Then Peter went on to encourage the women. He said, don't let your adornment be merely outward. Arranging the hair, wearing gold, putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart. In other words, he said, don't spend all your time making yourself look beautiful on the outside. Spend some time making yourself beautiful on the inside. Pouring in God's word, becoming more like Christ. Spend some time there. Why should they do that? He said, because that's incorruptible. And we know outward beauty, it fades away. Gravity wins. We understand that. It takes over. But inward beauty, it'll last forever. And he also said, it's pleasing to God. God cares more for the ladies about how you look on the inside, what your heart is, than what you look like on the outside. And he also closed out that section. He said, this is not something new. I'm not giving you a new commandment. I'm not telling you something new. It's what godly women have always done. Then this morning we come to verse 7. And Peter turns his attention to the husbands. Follow along as I read verse 7. He says, Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. Now, just like when Peter addressed the wives, he made it very clear who he's talking to. Here he's talking to husbands. These are men who are married. Ladies, no flying elbows this morning. I don't want to see any of the, hey, are you listening? Are you awake? Are you paying attention to this? Peter's not talking to you married wives. You don't need to make sure that your husband is awake and listening. He's listening. He gets it. Don't try to look over his shoulder and read his notes and see what he just wrote down or or what he just circled. 
In fact, if you're a married woman, what I'm about to tell the guys is not your concern at all. Don't concern yourself with it. Your focus is on the first six verses of chapter 3, not verse 7. Just to be clear, he doesn't need you to remind him of this verse. You don't need to leave your Bible out on the counter tomorrow morning so when he gets his coffee, it's open to this page and this verse is highlighted. You don't need to do that for him. If you truly want to help him, pray this verse for him. You go to his heavenly father and you pray these things for your husband. That's how you can truly help him. Guys, we have a tendency to look and go, oh, it's only one verse. That's cool. I'm getting off easy. Not the case. Peter's got a lot to say here. He's going to show us how that we need to behave as husbands in order to be godly husbands. There's a lot for us to accomplish in this one verse. And one other thing for the ladies, if you happen to be single and hope to be married someday, you need to know what a godly man looks like. You need to pay attention. You need to know what you're looking for. You don't want to make a mistake and think you're getting a godly man. How do you know if you don't know what he's supposed to be, what he's supposed to look like? It'd be a good thing to pay attention. If you're a single guy and you think you might get married someday, again, pay attention. You need to know what's expected of you. It might just ha- help you pick the wife. You might look at one and go, well, wow, I, 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 no, I can't do that with her. Or you might look and go, yeah, that, that, that's a godly woman. I understand what she looks like. And I understand what my role is as a godly husband. And then we can come together in a marriage and accomplish much for the Lord. After addressing his audience, which is husbands, Peter says, likewise. Likewise. This means it goes along with everything that I've been telling you. So he's not, he's not shifting chapters or changing something new. He's right in line with everything I've been telling you. Likewise, and this goes all the way back to chapter 2, verse 17, where it says, Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Likewise, submit to the government. Likewise, slaves submit to your masters. Likewise, wives submit to your husbands. And now husbands, but notice what he instructs the husbands to do. Dwell with them, that's with your wife, with understanding. Give honor to the wife. Recognize she is the weaker vessel. Recognize she is a co-heir together with Christ. You see, I want to break this down even further. Peter says three words that are very important. He says, dwell with them. Dwell with them. A godly husband lives with his wife. A godly husband dwells with his wife. He doesn't just coexist in the same home. He doesn't just cohabitate. He doesn't have a separate life. He truly lives with her. She is involved in his life. He is involved with her life. I'm convinced there are too many husbands who just live under the same roof. They just, they're they're like roommates together. They don't dwell with their wives. They're just roommates. The time a couple has been married has nothing to do with this. You can have a couple married for many, many years and have a very ungodly relationship. It doesn't, the, the, the length of time doesn't tell you the quality of time. The godly husband understands the idea of oneness that God has established between the husband and the wife. He said the two shall become one flesh. The godly husband seeks to, uh, to accomplish this. He seeks to become one with her. He does the things necessary to build the oneness. This means that the husband, the godly husband, makes time to be at home with his wife and children. It doesn't mean he'll never be away, but when he's home, he's engaged. He's part of the family. He doesn't just check in at night to go to bed and then wake up in the morning to leave again day after day after day. That might be part of a work week, but then the weekends change. 
There's a difference. There's, a, there's an engagement that takes place. He does the things necessary to build this oneness. It means that a husband makes time to communicate with his wife while they're at home. Not just on the phone, but while they're at home, face to face, dwelling with each other, they're also communicating. I read a survey, and it revealed, it was from Harvard, it, read, it revealed that the average husband and wife spent 37 minutes a week together in communication. That's the average. 37, you listen to me for more than 37 minutes a week. If you come to one service, you listen to me for more than 37 minutes a week. You communicate more with me than you do with your husband or your wife, if you're on that average. Hopefully we're not. But it makes me think this, no wonder so many marriages fall apart after the children grow up and leave home. Because they realize they don't know each other. They're just living two separate lives. They're strangers, they're living with strangers. They've been nothing but roommates. To accomplish a common goal, once the goal is taken out, there's no relationship left behind. We see that happen all the time. Warren Wearsby said that to dwell with them also suggests that the husband provide for the physical and material needs of the home. While it is not wrong for a wife to have a job or a career, her first responsibility is to care for the home. It is the husband who should provide. Again, make sure we understand that. Just because it's nothing wrong with a woman having a job and a career and all that kind of, there's nothing wrong with that at all. But understand the biblical responsibility that God gives to the wife comes first. This is what he says that your responsibility is. For the husband, he says your responsibility is to provide for the home. You should be out working. And I realize that sometimes it takes two couples, two, a husband and a wife working to make ends meet. That's, there's nothing wrong with that. That's not unbiblical. As long as you're understanding what my primary responsibilities are. As long as you're understanding why we're doing these things. So let me ask you this question. Men, are you dwelling with your wife like the Bible says? Are you spending time with her at home? Do you communicate with her on a deeper level than you would if you had a roommate? Or is it just that superficial communication, that necessary stuff to get the house taken care of? You see, Peter's telling the men that we're to dwell with our wives. And notice what he says about dwelling with them. He said, dwell with them with understanding. With understanding. Or some translations say, according to knowledge, if you want to be a godly husband... You want to follow the scriptures, you need to dwell with your bride with understanding. This means that you need to understand her. You need to make it your job and your mission to understand her. Now I realize that as a guy, there are some things about a woman I will never understand. I get that. And there are some things about a man that a woman will never understand. But I also realize there are some things about my wife that I can understand. And I need to make it my job, my mission to understand that. I know that when my wife is upset because of something I've said or done or offended her in some way, I'm going to ask her, is everything okay? You know what she's going to say? She's going to say, yes, everything's fine. I know that I can't stop there. I have to ask again, is everything okay? And she'll say, she might say yes or no, but if she says no, and I know by our outward signs, by the body language, I know there's something wrong. I have an obligation to keep asking her. I might have to find a different way. I might have to pause for a little bit, but I need to get to the bottom of what's bothering her because I've done something to offend her in some way, and I need to make that right. That's what it means to understand her. There's something about her. I understand that I don't just ask my wife once and say, hey, is everything okay? Yeah, everything's fine. Oh, right, cool, no worries. No, that doesn't work in my, in, my, in my house. Your wife might do that. Your wife might go, no, that's fine. But for mine, my, my, I need to pursue her a little bit. You need to know your wife as well. If you don't understand her and know her well, then let me ask you this. How do you demonstrate your love to her? 
If you don't understand her, what she needs, what she wants, how do you demonstrate your love? Let me explain it to you this way. You need to know what your wife needs, what she likes, what she doesn't like. You then take this knowledge of her and you apply it in your everyday life. And guess what you're doing? You're showing her that you love her. You're taking what information you understand, you're using it, and she's going, wow, he's doing what I like. He's not doing what I don't like. He realizes what I need. He keeps asking me if everything's okay. And finally, the 15th time, I'll tell him, no, it's not, and we'll sort it out, and we'll get, we'll get past it. But he didn't give up. Do you understand how it works? If you know your wife is insecure, if you have a wife that's insecure, then you need to make it your mission to never give her a reason to be insecure about your love for her. It needs to be your mission. Make sure there are no secrets. Give her the code to your phone. Let her look at whatever she needs to look at. Let her come with you to work. Whatever needs to happen so that you can dispel that insecurity. You do all of what you can do to dispel that. Don't belittle her. Don't make fun of her. Don't make her feel bad for her own insecurities. Do everything you can, dis everything you can to dispel that insecurity. If you know your wife needs to hear the words, I love you, every day and most women do, not all but most, then you tell her. You can't just look at your wife and say, well, I told you I, I loved you the day I married you. If anything changes, I'll let you know. It doesn't work. If she likes getting gifts and cards and letters, those little things make a big difference to her, then you need to take the time to demonstrate. That's part of knowing her. That's part of dwelling with her. You get her those things. If she needs your physical touch, if she needs, you know, perhaps it's non-sexual touch she needs, whatever she needs, find out what she needs and meet that need. If she needs quality time. You know, oftentimes, as I sit through marriage conference, marriage counselings, that's what I hear the most. I don't get enough time. I just want to spend time with them. You know, and sometimes men, we, we're so busy focusing on providing that we don't, we don't realize there's a, time, there's a time issue there. And the wife oftentimes wants just to spend time with them. If she needs your time then you need to give it to her you need to make time for it if she needs to talk with you then you need to take time to listen and just a little hint i can tell you from my own life they don't always want you to solve the problem they just want you to hear it men just hear the problem we had early on in our marriage we had i don't remember where we heard it rebecca might be able to tell you but we heard this thing called couch time it was called couch time, and I was, I was intrigued by it, and I thought, well, what do we need couch time for? We need to sit and communicate, because now I read that 37 minutes a week is what people are spending. So we decided that every day after work, we were going to sit on the couch, we were going to communicate. At that time, I was a young police officer. I had a pretty active job. It, was a, it was a, tended to be a hands-on, a little bit on the violent side, and I worked in a bad area. And we would come home from work, and we would sit down to talk about our day and how things went. And I would say, she would say to me, well, how was your day, honey? And you know what I said? It was fine. And she'd say, well, what did happen? What'd you do today? Oh, nothing. I, you know, arrested two or three people, you know, that's it. I never went into the details about, you know, I had to point my gun at this person or this, you know, this guy had a knife. I never went into all that, all the, the big stuff. We got into a car chase that went, you know, for 12 blocks and there was a wreck. I never did any of that stuff. It was fine. It was okay. Oh, we did this and that. And then I would say, how was your day? And you know what I found out? She wanted to talk to me all about her day. She wanted to tell me all about the little things at work. And in my mind, you know what, I, to be honest, you know, what I was thinking, who cares? I was like I'm thinking I almost got shot today I got into three fights today and you're telling me that your boss isn't being fair so you know what I, you know what I thought I'm going to pick up the phone and call your boss I'll tell him like it is if he's doing something wrong I'll straighten it out and I realized she doesn't want me to fix it she just wants me to hear it 
She wants me to communicate with her. She wants me to talk to her. She wants me to listen. And I did that. And we still, we don't have a set aside couch time anymore. I think we, maybe we need to go back to it. I don't know. But there's a, there's a communication that happens. And I realized that was a valuable part. My wife needs to communicate with me on a daily basis. And I would suspect that your wife needs to communicate with you. And you have to make that time. And I'm going to be honest with you guys. It's hard sometimes. Because sometimes my wife, and I'm perfectly transparent here, sometimes my wife will start talking, my mind will go somewhere else. It ever happened to you guys? You know, she's talking, and, I'm, and she goes, you're not here, you're not listening. I'm like, oh, I'm not. But I, I'll be honest, honey, forgive me, I'm trying to listen. I, I mean, my mind might go to something that I, I deem more important, and I've got to bring it back. And she understands my, my struggle in that too, so she'll, hey, come on back, okay, I'll come back. And then we get right back into it. It doesn't need to turn into a fight, it just needs to be turned into a reminder. But communication has to be key in the marriage. Now, every woman is different, but you need to dwell with your wife with understanding. The first part is dwelling with her, being part of her life. The second part is with understanding. Let's take a little test. If I asked you to write down the three things your spouse or your wife enjoys most, would it be quick and easy? Would it be real quick? You can just jot them down real quick. What does my wife like to do most? Would you have to think about it for a while? What if I said, write down the three things your wife needs from you every single day? Three things that she has to have from you every single day. Is it easy? Is it easy to answer? Or is it difficult? Well, I'm not sure what it would be. I'm not, I, I, I'm not sure. Listen, if you don't know those things, I want to tell you, just ask her. She'll tell you what she needs from you every day. She'll tell you what she likes to do. She wants the relationship to grow too. You don't have to go not knowing it. But if you don't know these questions... Take time to find them out. But here's the mistake most, well, I shouldn't say most, some men make. Oh, we have the understanding. We just don't do it. We know what she needs. We know what she likes. We know what she wants. We just don't do it because it's inconvenient for us. Because we'd rather do something that pleases ourselves over top of pleasing them. You see, many times we have that information already. We just don't use it. Once you have the understanding about your wife, you then have the biblical obligation to take that understanding and apply it to your everyday life. You have to live it out. You must use it daily. When you take this understanding about your bride and you live it out daily, you are demonstrating your love to her. It's, real, it's really rather simple, isn't it? I just have to, I just have to know what, I, what she wants, what she needs, and I just have to do it. But yet it seems so often that everything gets in the way. It can be busy, it can be I'm tired, it can be I've got too many plans, I've got this to do, I've got that to do, I've got this on my mind, I've got that on my mind. Is there really much in life that's more important than your relationship with your wife as a guy? Because it's going to be so much better if you're without her someday, right? No, it's going to be horrible. Next, Peter tells us as husbands, he says, give honor to your wife or to the wife. A godly husband knows how to make his wife feel honored. A godly husband also honors his wife in front of other people. This, understand something, this was a very radical teaching in Peter's day. In Peter's day, in this ancient culture, a husband had absolute rights over his wife. He didn't have to do anything that he didn't want to do. And the wife had virtually no rights in the marriage whatsoever. 
But now in this scripture, Peter's instructing husbands on their responsibilities in marriage. Do you realize in the Roman world, if a man was caught, if a man, if, if as a husband you caught your wife in the act of adultery, you could kill her on the spot. But if you're a wife and you caught your husband in the act of adultery, you know what you could do? Nothing. Nothing. You had no rights. And here in the scriptures, the Lord is saying to, through Peter, men, there are rights, I mean, there are responsibilities in a marriage. You, you are not the end all to everything. You have responsibilities. There are certain ways that you need to live as a husband. In that day, all the duties and obligations in the marriage were put on the wife. Now here in Peter's radical teaching, he's telling the husband, the man, the husband, that God has ordained duties for you too. And there's a certain way that God expects you to treat your wife. By the way, she's his daughter. Guys, we need to make it a point to honor our wives, whether they're present or not. No more calling her my old lady at work. No more ball and chain. No more putting her down in front of your friends at work. If she makes a mistake, cover it up. Protect her reputation. Cover her faults and failures. Do not put them on display for your friends to find humor at. Maybe she's not a very good cook. Don't go tell everyone that. Don't go tell everyone what a horrible meal she prepared for you last night. Praise the Lord, she's trying. Maybe she'll learn. When I was working for the Florida Department of Law Enforcement, my wife always made my lunch. She would make my lunch and she would put a little note in there. And I never knew what I had for lunch that day until I got there and opened it up for lunch. So there's times, not every day, but we would sit around the conference table when we were in the office and we'd all have lunch together. And I'd open up my lunch and it became a joke as the girls in the office began to make fun of me for not making my own lunch. And they would say things like, well, what did St. Rebecca make you for lunch today? And they called, they, they literally, that became her, her nickname around the office, St. Rebecca. Now, I can remember one specific morning, we had a, a bit of an argument or a disagreement, we'll call it. Now, we had an argument before work. And I got to work that day and she made my lunch and I opened it and they called her St. Rebecca. And I thought... I know she's not really a saint, although she really is, but don't tell anybody. But I had a chance to put her down in front of the group and say, well, let me tell you what St. Rebecca did this morning. But I didn't. I kept quiet about it. I didn't say a word. Let, why do I need to air our dirty laundry that's going to be repaired by the time I get home? It's going to be, it's going to be cleared up. It's going to be, we're going to be past it. Why do I need to tarnish her reputation in front of others? I wanted everybody in that office to think that about her. And I, it's, it's, she's not perfect, but I'm still, to this day, I'm not going to air out that kind of dirty laundry. If there's a mistake, there's a mistake. We'll deal with it. We'll work through it. Peter goes on to tell the husbands to give honor to the wife as the weaker vessel. Peter here is referring to physical weakness. He's referring to strength. It has nothing to do with spiritual strength. It has nothing to do with brains or intellectual capacity. It's strictly physical. And generally speaking, men are physically stronger than women. Now, I realize there might be a few exceptions to that, but in most cases, men are stronger than women. Peter is telling the husbands not to exploit the weakness or the lack of physical strength that their wife may have. Instead, they're to protect and to nurture their wives. We are to be strength for our wives. We are to be the protector of our wives. We are not to exploit her strength. We're not to make her feel bad. Previously, when Peter used the word wife, he brought out the feminine nature of women. That's what the word meant. It has a feminine nature to it. Now he continues to appreciate the feminine nature and to tell husbands how they should respond to it. 
Your wife is supposed to be feminine. She needs you to protect her. She wants you to protect her. She might, she needs you to open the jar in the kitchen because she can't do it. Or she might need you to pick up the that bag of dog food because it's too heavy for her, whatever it is. She needs that. She, she, don't, don't hold that against her. That's what Peter's saying. A godly husband recognizes whatever limitations his wife has physically. He doesn't push her beyond them. He doesn't expect more than she's capable of. Maybe she's sick. Maybe she's got health issues. Maybe she's not able to for a season or whatever the case is. Peter's saying, don't expect, don't expect more than she's able. It's okay. Now let's just quickly review there in verse 7 to find out where we are. He said, husbands, we know who he's writing to. Likewise, we know what that means. Dwell with them. We know what that means. With understanding, we spoke about that. Giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel. And then here we are. And as being heirs together of the grace of life. Notice Peter points out that husbands and wives are heirs together of the grace of life. Peter wants the husbands to know she might be physically weaker than you are, but she's your equal partner in God's grace. She's your equal partner in God's grace. Yes, there's an order that God has established, but husbands and wives are heirs together in the promise of God. They're heirs together. They're co-heirs. A godly husband realizes his spouse is not only his wife, but his sister in Christ. And you know what? Her dad's watching. I don't say that to be in some sort of incestual thing. But for a man and a woman, for my wife, she's God's daughter. And he's paying attention to how I treat his daughter. As a matter of fact, he said, I've got a way that if you'll do marriage, it'll be fantastic. If you want to follow it, I'm going to spell it out for you. But if you want to reject it, you can do that too. It's up to you. You get to make that choice. Yes, there's an order that God has established, but husbands and wives, we're heirs together. God doesn't like men over women. Even though the husband has been given a great authority within the marriage to lead that relationship, when it comes to the spiritual privilege and the eternal importance, they're together. They're equal. That's what he's talking about. God does not prefer men over women. He simply established different roles so that we can rightly accomplish his will for us to do. There at the end of verse 7, did you catch it? Peter wants men to know you should live as, godly, as a godly husband. Look what it says. That your prayers may not be hindered. Whoa. What do you mean? Does that mean what I think it means? The word hindered in the Greek text, it means this, literally to cut in or to interrupt. To cut in or to interrupt. Failure to give due honor to the wife will result in the cutting in or the interruption of your prayer. Wow. Peter is establishing that if you fail to live as a godly husband, there are spiritual consequences. Spiritual consequences. Your prayers may be hindered. Why would Peter say something like this? Because Peter assumes that the fear of hindered prayer would motivate any Christian man to be a godly husband. He assumes that you would know the value of prayer, the power of prayer. That alone would motivate you to do what God's called you to do. Unfortunately, many Christian men have such a low regard for prayer. This warning does not adequately motivate them at all. Listen to how Charles Spurgeon put it. He said, indeed, to true believers, prayer is so invaluable that the danger of hindering it is used by Peter as a motive. Why? In their marriage relationships and household concerns, they should behave themselves with great wisdom. He bids the husband dwell with his wife according to knowledge 
and render loving honor to her, lest their prayers should be hindered. And he goes on to say this, Anything which hinders prayer must be wrong if any management of the family or lack of management is injuring our power in prayer, there is an urgent demand for an altercation or for a change to make a difference. Men, if you understand the power of prayer, the thought of your prayers being hindered is unthinkable. The thought of doing something or failing to do something that would hinder your prayers is unthinkable. It should bring you to a place of immediate repentance and change as the Holy Spirit convicts you. Let's just quickly review Peter's commands to husbands. As husbands, we are to dwell with our wives, be part of their everyday life. We're to do it with understanding, he says. We're to give honor to our wives, remembering that they are physically weaker than we are. Remember we are joint heirs together of the grace of Christ, of the grace of God. And failure to do this may result in our prayers being hindered. We live in a culture today where there's more information about marriage than ever before, than any other time in history. Yet with all this instruction, marriages are falling apart at an alarming rate. Statistically, we're told that almost 50% of marriages end in divorce. And there's statistics about a second marriage and a third marriage out there. Even Christian marriages are barely hanging on. Obviously, Something is wrong. What's wrong? Here's what's wrong. Husbands and wives need to not only listen to what God tells them in his word, they need to do it. Too many people sit through a Christian message or a Christian marriage conference. They hear it, they agree with it, but they never go live it. They never make the change necessary. They never live it out every day. There will be people that hear this message. They agree with it. They'll tell me it was great. You're right on but they'll never go home and make the change. They'll never put themselves under the word of God like that. May I remind you that nowhere in these instructions, both to a husband or to a wife, does it say, if you feel like it. It doesn't say submit to yourself to your husband if you feel like it, or if he's worth it, or if you like the idea. It doesn't say dwell with your wife with understanding if, she, if you feel like it or if you think she deserves it or she gives you what you want. You do these things because the Lord has commanded them, period. In your submission to God, you must follow these instructions. Submission to God, submission to the word of God is not based on a feeling. I'm going to tell you how easy it is. It's a choice. You choose it right now. For the guys that are husbands, you get to choose. Well, I'm going to take this home. I'm either going to look at this and pray about this and find out where the Lord wants me to change, or I'm not. It's a choice, submission to the word of God. If you choose not to submit to God's word, know you're standing in rebellion. And you have no right asking him to bless your marriage. You cannot go to the Lord and say, Lord, fix my marriage, bless my marriage, if you've said no thank you to the things he's told you in his word. It doesn't work that way. He says, I will fix your marriage. I will bless your marriage. Do what I've asked you to do. Do, do, start living what I've asked you to live. Live it out. You know what the best thing is? You don't even have to do it perfectly. You see, when you set the standard and you say, that's where I'm going to achieve, I'm going to live this way. Can I just tell you that you're going to fail? You're going to fail many times, over and over again. The Lord says, that's okay. I've got grace for that. I've got mercy for that. But as you seek to reach that standard of being a godly husband or a godly wife, the closer you get, the farther along you leave the past behind you. 
The old habits get left behind. The changes begin to happen. You become more Christ-like along the way, even in the failures. Don't make the mistake of thinking you have to do it perfectly. You just have to set the standard and try to achieve it. And the best part is the Lord says, I'll even help you. I've given you the Holy Spirit that'll come alongside of you. He's gonna convict you. He's gonna tell you when you need to stop off and buy those flowers on the way home. He's gonna tell you when you need to keep asking what's wrong. He's gonna tell you all along the way to, to, help, to help you with this. It doesn't leave you out there by yourself. Just because you can't do it perfectly doesn't mean you don't even try. Set the standard and strive to meet it. Don't lower the bar to make you successful. It's better to be a failure and trying to reach the standard than lowering the bar so low and go, I'm cool, I got it. Keep, keep striving, keep reaching for it. You say, what if my husband or my wife, they, they're, they're not, they didn't listen to their part of the message. I don't care, do your part. You stand before the Lord faithful in what he's called you to do. Yeah, but you don't understand my relationship. I don't need to understand your relationship. God's word makes no exception for your relationship or your marriage, or the type of marriage it is. It's very clear, this is the role of a husband, this is the role of a wife. Are you doing it? Are you living it? I want to encourage you that this is hard. It's not easy. It doesn't, you just, don't just wake up one morning and go, oh, cool, I'm a godly husband now. I'm a, I'm a godly wife, this is great. No, it's going to be a battle, because Satan wants to destroy your marriage. He wants to pull it apart. He wants you guys divorced. He wants the kids separated. He wants to do everything he can to destroy all that you've done. He wants to just rip it apart. And you have to be the one that stands up and says, no, no, I am going to comply with God's word because my faith and my trust is in him in his word and his promises, not in what the world has to promise. We all don't have to look very far to see what divorce brings, what bad marriages, what difficult, hard marriages bring. But I want to encourage you that you can have a godly marriage and it starts today if you're willing to take that step. It starts if you're willing to fulfill that role. Even if your spouse says, nah, that's stupid, I don't want to do it. You just do your part. You might lead them to Christ. And if you say no, then just know that you're standing in direct rebellion to God's word. He can't bless your marriage. Do you realize that? He can't. Lord, fix my marriage. I will, but you've got to do it my way. He can't. Lord, no, I want you to sprinkle pixie dust and make everything go away. It doesn't work that way. He says, I want to change you. I will change the husband first, then I will change the wife, or maybe I'll do it together, but I need you to take that step, and it, I'm telling you, it's a decision. It's a decision that you make. I am going to live my rest of my life as a godly husband or a godly wife, and I'm going to do the best of my ability to do and fulfill what the Lord has given us in his word to do, and as you take those steps, you will grow tremendously in obedience and spiritually closer to the Lord. He will help you all along the way. All of it's rather simple and straightforward. It comes down to this, what will you do with the information? Many people will agree with it. Many people say, yep, that's the way it should be. But they go home, they don't do anything about it. Well, Rob, tell me what I should do about it. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go home. I want you to talk to your husband or wife if you feel led. And I want you to ask the Lord. Lord, you show me where I start. You show me what I need to do. You, you open up the communication lines between my husband and my, husband and my, my wife. You, you, you lead me in this. You see, I can't give you a 10-step program. I can't give you three steps if you do these three things you're doing right. But I can tell you that the Lord can because he knows right where you need to start, and I don't. He knows right. Maybe it's honoring your wife. I don't know. Maybe you already honor your wife. Maybe that's not, maybe that's not it. But I can tell you something. You think, and I know the guys think this. Man, you're beating us up today. It's a whole lot harder to stand up here and teach it with your wife sitting in the row, in the first row, than to stand out there and hear it. Because I'm convicted by it all the time. And I'm not perfect at it. And neither will you be, but we continue to strive for that standard. 
We don't dismiss it as we're not capable of making it. Instead, we strive for it. We ask the Lord to help us and ask him to show us and watch him take these marriages that seem to be falling apart and put them back together. I will tell you, my, my marriage began very early on. We sat in marriage counseling. And I sat there and the pastor that, I don't even remember his name, we sat there with another couple and he flat out said, there's a choice that has to be made here. I decided when I walked out of there, I'm going to make the choice. I'm going to make a choice. That's what it was. It was a choice. And from there on, I'm, I'm still learning. I'm still growing. I'm not a perfect godly husband. Please don't think that I am. And my wife's not a perfect godly wife, although she is pretty close. But even if she wasn't, I wouldn't tell you. Let's pray. Father, sometimes your word makes us feel good, fluffy. Sometimes it's convicting. But Lord, marriage is something that you take serious. You've laid out the requirements. You've put the instructions in place. Lord, may we take it serious. May we take our marriage vows serious. May we take the things that you've given us to do in your word. It's really not all that much. May we make them a part of our life. May we live them out, Lord. And Lord, would you help us do that? We already know that we can't do it on our own. We need your help. So encourage us and convict us wherever we are, whatever we need. Would you minister to our hearts? Speak to us in a way that only you can. Lord, you have a way of growing us and teaching us when it's truly our desire to grow. And may you meet us on the pages of Scripture as we try to take these things that we've learned today and in the last week or so and apply them to our life. Lord, would you protect the marriages in this fellowship? Would you guard against Satan? Lord, we know that he wants to destroy them, but instead, may you keep them strong. May the men and women be willing to submit to your word and watch what you might do as they walk in obedience to you. In Jesus' name, amen.